This is a Clark University podcast. You know, we hear some rhetoric that like Syria was like a test drive for Ukraine. I think that's like the wrong framing. What's happening to Syria matters because it's happening to Syria. It doesn't have to be applicable somewhere else for it to be important. But as we are trying to understand the actions of the Russian military in Ukraine, looking at the Russian military's behavior in, in Syria, its military approach to taking territory in Syria can serve as a warning for what we can expect to see in Ukraine. That's Ora Sekely, a professor of political science at Clark University who researches foreign and domestic policies of non-state armed groups in the Middle East. As part of her fieldwork, Sekely has studied the civil war in Syria, I just finished working on a book project about uh, the civil war in Syria. And the first thing that everybody that I interviewed wanted me to know about the civil war was that it did not start as a civil war. The way everything gets started in Syria is during the spring of 2011, what's known as the Arab Spring is like in full swing. The government in Egypt has been overthrown, the government in Tunisia has been overthrown. And so in March of 2011, we start to see protests in Syria as well. People are calling primarily for uh, dignity, like the word that you hear in a lot of the protests is karama, which means dignity in Arabic. They're also calling for better governance. There are some people who are like explicitly talking about democracy, but mostly what they want is a better, a better government than what they've got. And what that means is very different for different Syrians. The government responds with violence. Some members of the Syrian military uh, defect because they're unwilling to shoot at fellow Syrians, which gives rise to this organization called the Free Syrian Army, which is the first of the major rebel groups. That eventually becomes this like umbrella group with this whole constellation of other rebel groups with like lots of different ideologies. And so pretty quickly that devolves into a civil war. And so by 2012, the civil war is in full swing. But things are starting to look a little bit iffy for the government. They're starting to get a little bit worried. And then in September of 2015, Syria's close ally, Russia, enters the war. Russia entered that war and targeted civilians, which in hindsight seems like a precursor to the current war in Ukraine. Very quickly, the Russian Air Force begins targeting civilians in Syria. Now, this is not new. The Syrian government had also been using its air force to target civilians in Syria. but. I think it's worth noting, particularly in the context of what we're now seeing in Ukraine, that this um, was clearly a matter of policy by the Russian military. I'm Melissa Hansen, a producer in Clark's communications office, and this is Challenge Change. Russian airstrikes in Syria were heavily documented on social media, particularly on YouTube. One of the interesting features of the civil war in Syria is that it is extraordinarily well documented by video and a lot of this stuff is hosted on YouTube. So there's this organization called the Syrian Archive which is uh, archiving videos of military activity, in particular human rights violations, atrocities against civilians, that are documented by video and that can be verified. These show repeatedly that the Russian military is attacking civilian targets with absolutely no military value. What I'm talking about here is deliberately and intentionally targeting civilian targets that are only civilian targets. So mosques are a really common target, schools, bakeries, and especially hospitals. There's this extremely well-documented pattern in Syria of the Syrian government and also the Russian military 
deliberately targeting hospitals. Social media in the context of war can be a way to share a story with the media and the public, a way to document war crimes, or a place for propaganda. I was, I think, as surprised as anybody else who's not like an expert on the Russian military uh, when Russia actually invaded Ukraine. But the conduct of that invasion has not been surprising, I think, to anybody who's familiar with the conduct of the Russian military in Syria. I don't want to let the Assad regime off the hook here, but the conduct of the Russian military, the approach of like sort of causing maximum damage to civilians as a way to break civilian resistance and, and remove rebel control of territory was really just like extraordinarily brutal. And watching their behavior in Ukraine, it's just sort of more of the same. Today, Ukrainians are posting on TikTok as Russian attacks continue. You know, every new media technology changes the nature of the first war that it's present for, right? So, you know, famously, the fact that the Vietnam War uh, was being broadcast into Americans' living rooms really changed the way that people thought about the war and it, you know, it changed public opinion in really powerful ways. Social media and the accessibility of fairly high quality video cameras that we all carry around in our pockets now has really offered a new capacity to armed groups and like nonviolent civilian activists to tell their stories without necessarily having to go through the traditional media as a gatekeeper. The purpose of a lot of this documentation on YouTube has been to then share it with you know, large media outlets to try and like, you know, boost signal for, for the story that they're trying to tell about what's happening in the war to expose, you know, for instance, atrocities against civilians or to promote the perspective of a particular rebel group. For nonviolent civilian activists who are associated with the Syrian opposition, one thing we've seen is people will organize themselves into what they call media centers, which is basically a group of people who work together to produce footage for the same YouTube channel. By like 2012, 2013, um, a lot of this had gotten very sophisticated. When there's an airstrike, activists would like run towards the site of the bombing, yelling the date that it was taking place, making sure to capture relevant landmarks, whatever they could do to like document the authenticity of what they were showing, and then sharing it with journalists. Armed groups have also used this platform as a way to try and tell their own stories, to like, you know, produce ideological propaganda for their groups, or in some cases to produce material that's meant for recruiting. I'm working on an article about this right now with my Clark student RA, actually, Sherry Assi, uh, who's been helping me sort through a bunch of these videos, and we're working on a paper on the ways in which social media has shaped uh, the choices made by all the different factions in the war. While the actions of the Russian army have been similar in Syria and Ukraine, a distinction between the two wars has been how people across Europe treat refugees. Refugees who ended up in Europe, I think, get a lot of the attention in the media, but actually the vast majority of Syrian refugees ended up going to, in order, Turkey, Lebanon, and Jordan. Uh, Turkey took upwards of three million Syrian refugees. Lebanon took upwards of a million. Jordan took somewhere between 600,000 and a million. At one point, something like one in five, maybe even one in four people resident in Lebanon was a refugee, if you take into account Palestinian refugees who've been there since 1948. 
I understand why it's hard for, for Syrians, for instance, to watch footage of this like, very warm welcome that, that Ukrainians are getting. I hope that Ukrainians are not displaced for long periods of time. I hope that the Ukrainian refugee population does not have the experience that the Syrians have had. For anyone who feels helpless watching the news out of Ukraine, Sekely encourages donating funds to support refugees. If people are listening and they think this is all terrible, uh, all of this is awful, what do I do? How do I help? Um, there are a lot of organizations, especially local organizations, that are aiding recently arrived Ukrainian refugees in states bordering Ukraine. There are also a lot of really great organizations that have been doing wonderful work for the last decade supporting Syrian refugees in, and you know, refugees in other parts of the world too. One organization that I really admire is the Collateral Repair Project, which works in Jordan supporting Syrian refugees. Um, you can look up their work, and there are also you know, lots of other smaller local organizations that are really doing their best to make things better for people who have lost everything and who've been displaced and had to start their lives over. To learn more about political science at Clark, visit clarku.edu slash political science. Challenge Change is produced by Melissa Hansen and Andrew Hart for Clark University. You can find other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. One, two, three. Clark! <laughs>